folks i want to welcome you to another episode of life around the fire my name is david hutari and i'll be your host today we are a podcast that is devoted to spiritual growth and when i'm talking about spiritual growth i'm talking about growth in our relationship with god and in our relationships with one another what we're gonna do today is we're going to dive into this area of forgiveness again. And the reason that we're going to do that is because it was a couple episodes previous to this one right here that while I was talking, the the Holy Spirit really just was moving inside of me. The Spirit of God was impressing on me in such a strong fashion that this whole topic of forgiveness is something that is uh, pretty important. If not for the overall body of Christ at this point in time, I'm not sure about all that, but the aspect of forgiveness is important and I'm sure it's because it's always important but there are certain things that are in front of those who are listening right now in front of your lives right now where this aspect of forgiveness is right in front of you man I mean it's right there and so to not deal with it is kind of like having an elephant in the room and you're not talking about it (laughs) You talk about everything else other than that elephant that's in the room. And it's important to deal with the elephant that's in the room. And in this situation, it's important to deal with the aspect of forgiveness. But before we dive into that area of forgiveness, I want to touch in on a couple things that really lead into that. And part of that involves me giving you a little bit of background of my life. And I am a 63-year-old man, and I was raised in northern Minnesota in a small mining town called Hibbing, Minnesota. And I was on the outskirts of Hibbing, Minnesota, and I was raised there in the 1960s, primarily, 60s and 70s. And then... uh, While I was being raised, I was raised in a community outside of Hibbing called Maple Hill. And Maple Hill was kind of a quaint farming community that was outside of Hibbing. And Hibbing being a population of a grand, when it was really big, 
you know, the mega city was about 20,000 people. And uh, I think I mentioned the fact that it was a mining town. And iron ore was the big industry. Iron ore was king, man. And uh, I think the one claim to fame that the town really had outside of iron ore was Bob Dylan being a musician poet that lived in Hibbing for the majority of his young life from the age of like, you know, just a kid, two, three years old, till he uh, left in uh, when he was like 18 or something like that. So the majority of his growing up years was in Hibbing, Minnesota, and quite frankly, he hated it. <laughs> Story goes that he ran away from home 12, no, he ran away from home 13 times, and he got caught 12 the last time. He didn't get caught, and he just kept on going. And so Hibbing is a small town, northern Minnesota, and like that area of the world it primarily is where Caucasian meets Caucasian, where white meets rice, all that stuff. It was primarily a Caucasian community, interestingly enough. Interestingly enough, though, even though it was primarily Caucasian, prejudice knows no boundaries. <laughs> it is equal opportunity, ignorant. The element of having a minority and having prejudice be part of that whole picture. Well, I mean, yeah, it was right there in Hibbing, Minnesota in the 60s, 1960s. Hibbing, Minnesota, primarily, I mean, you could count on two hands how many Native Americans there were and then throw in a couple other different types of colored uh, people, and that was the colored population of Hibbing, Minnesota, like 12. Okay, and so uh, there had to be a minority because there just seems like there's got, there's got to have a minority. And you got to have something that you're prejudiced toward. And so my nationality was Finnish, Finland, from the country Finland. Okay, and uh, the people in northern Minnesota, Hibbing primarily, that were from the Finnish background, well, guess what? We were the minority, right? Now, I'm going to go somewhere with this whole thing, so bear with me. Okay, so we were the minority. That meant that we were basically this. We were kind of smelly, meaning stinky, poor, kind of stupid, you know, a little bit stupid, inbred, maybe a little bit ugly, kind of like behind the times and uh, troublemakers. I mean, just any minority group that you want to throw that, you know, a title onto and all that goes along with it, that was us. And, and so, yeah, I was raised being that particular element, the wrong side attracts people. So with that in mind, there was a whole lot of, uh, in my community, there was a whole lot of equal opportunity discipline that was going on, right? So in the 60s, I was raised during an era that now people call, uh, you know, old school. <laughs> I was old school, man. I mean, I, I was so old school that, you know, we, when we would, uh, 
walk to school, right? It was uphill both ways in the snow all year long. It was t- old school, man. It was so old school that we wouldn't get a haircut. We'd just pull our hair out, man. It was old school, sweetie. And so we were old school and equal opportunity discipline, meaning that it was nothing for a person's aunt or uncle to give them the same sort of discipline correction that mom and dad would give. In fact, one time I was underneath my breath. There was a family gathering that had take place, and there was a bunch of Finlanders running around, and my aunt had overheard me. My dad's sister, her name Tiny. <laughs> Tiny, I love it. Tiny. And Tiny overheard me grumbling about something about my mother underneath my breath, and she snatched me by my ear and started walking me over to my dad. Yeah, walking me, and my dad saw me coming, and he just shook his head. He goes, go ahead, do them whatever he needs to have done. And uh, he didn't want to hear a thing about it, didn't need to. It was equal opportunity stuff. And so, in many respects, we kind of looked out for each other, right? However, there, like in any community, there was also this whole notion of people that kind of wanted to fit in with the Joneses. You know, whoever the Joneses are. The they. They. I remember one (laughs) particular... Side note, one particular... Far Side cartoon. I would like Far Side. And uh, Far Side cartoon had this uh, had this lady. She had her hands on her hips and she had cat eye glasses on. And she's looking around the room and there's this guy that's in there and he's kind of one. It's her husband. And he looked kind of sheepish. And on these desks that he had in his back room, had these little placards on the desk, and each one of the placards had a sign that said they, and on each desk had a phone. And she had her hands on her hips, and she goes, aha, so that's who they are, right? (laughs) They, the proverbial they. Well, there's always a they. And in a small mining community in northern Minnesota, there. There were the Joneses, there was a they, there were the social elites, and they kind of let people know it. In fact, we had this one particular hill where some of the more wealthy people lived in Hibbing, and we nicknamed the hill Pill Hill, because they were just a bunch of pills that lived up there, you know, kind of hoity-toity. Pill Hill. Well, my mom... And their family were from North Dakota during the Depression days. And my mom and their family, her family, came from a line of sharecroppers, immigrants from Finland, who in North Dakota had become sharecroppers. And being a sharecropper, along with the fact that it was hard work, had little to no pay. And so the fact of the matter was my mom came from a very poor, very poor, dirt poor family. Little saying dirt poor. Well, they were dirt poor. And also my 
grandfather was a raging, horrible, mean, mean alcoholic. He wasn't a happy drunk. He was a mean drunk. And uh, their situation was very, very bleak. And so they had a small family that were raised in northern Minnesota, and they eventually moved to Hibbing, Minnesota. They moved from the country to the city. And my mother had two other sisters, one older sister and one younger sister. And the younger sister, her name was Violet. And uh, Violet was a socialite. She loved the attention that went along with being a socialite. And she had social graces. My Aunt Violet was a very good-looking woman, and she had social graces that went along with her looks. And so she was actually accepted by the upper-level society in Hibbing, Minnesota, and she liked it because she'd come from a background where they didn't have any money. And also, they were the minorities, and along with being minority, they were looked upon in a very low light, just didn't fit in type people. Well, my aunt Violet had made it, and and her husband Arnie was a big wig in the uranium industry. Yeah, they'd stumbled into some money and Arnie was an engineer and it was during the era of a major find of uranium and my uncle happened to score in on that and so they were set for life. And so their social circle was pretty pretty elevated as a result of their money <laughs> primarily and some of the skills that my Aunt Hat, and uh, she was she was she was actually a very good hostess, and that was fine. That that was their life. However, and it seems to go with the territory. However, her acceptance in this whole area of being a socialite had a price tag that went along with it, and the acceptance meant her needing to distance herself from some of her family members that uh, didn't have the same wealth that she did or her and her husband did. And uh, that happened to be my family and a few other families. And so my aunt and her husband really separated themselves in many respects from the rest of the family and kind of walked around with the air of superiority about them, unfortunately. Kind of the privileged, that privileged nouveau riche thing, like that new rich thing. They were new rich, and they really didn't necessarily wear their wealth all that cool. In fact, you go to their house, and if you weren't part of the elite company, you were able to go into a certain room in their house because in that room they had plastic carpet runners 
so that you couldn't walk on the carpeting. And they had plastic furniture coverings over the furniture so you couldn't sit on the furniture unless you're part of that upper crust company that they would entertain for cocktail hours. And they did. And they loved it. And we were not as a, you know, uh, extended family, we were not allowed to go into certain areas of their home, and it was known that we weren't allowed to go there. And so we didn't. And behind the scenes, we kind of joke around about it, and, you know, it would be like, big deal, big deal, you know, no big deal. Until, until one day, my great uncle, Nico, who had a farm in Canada, and as a farmer, he had done pretty well and had like 200 acres and he had carved himself out a pretty decent living and was part of a community in Canada that was actually well-respected because Canada didn't really have the same stereotypical stuff that America had at the time. There was a more of an open-mindedness and this wasn't the thing of people being cast in systems quite as heavily as it already had become in America. Well, my uncle Nico came to visit my aunt and her husband, Arnie. Arnie and Wiley came to visit them from Canada. And when he showed up, he showed up in his uh, overalls, his work clothes. He caught a train, he showed up and they were just chagrined. And he happened to show up right at cocktail hour. And they didn't really know what to do about this whole thing, right? And so what they did was they literally took my uncle and put him back, actually put him on a Greyhound bus and sent him out of town and told my parents that my mom and dad needed to go pick him up from the Greyhound station in another city. The reason being was they didn't want to be seen with my Uncle Nico in their social elite company. Funny what we do for the approval of other people, isn't it? Now, I know myself that I have done some things. When I look back over my life where I have done some things that have been wrong because I have wanted the approval of other people more than I wanted to do what was right. Or should I say the approval of God? I wanted relationship with other people more than I wanted relationship with God. Interesting. I wanted relationship and approval of other people more than I wanted relationship with God. Now, the relationship 
that is at the core, the relationship that is at the core of who we are, the heart. The relationship that is at the heart of who we are will determine all of the actions in our life. The relationship. The relationship that is at the center of who we are will determine all of the actions of our life. Relationship. Not money. Of myself. Not power. Of myself. Not sex. Of myself. Not pleasure. Of myself. Prestige. Not. uh, The list goes. None of it. Of and by itself. Relationship. Relationship is the basis for everything that we do and and at the core of that relationship and at the core of our being, the forgiveness that we receive and the forgiveness that we seek will determine the course of our life. Over the course of the next couple of episodes, we're going to be taking some more time and unpacking this thing a bit more. We're going to be taking a look at the things that we do for the approval of people. And hopefully we're going to be dismantling that so that it's not a ruling force in our life and that at the center of who we are is God. Really, not just in theory, but in all reality. And then the forgiveness that we possess and then that we demonstrate literally flows out from the core of our being because the forgiveness that we demonstrate and the forgiveness that we receive, it determines the degree of life that we're able to live, period. Looking at things from this angle (laughs) <laughs> looking at this stuff from this angle really captured my attention in a good way. I want it to. I want it to. I don't want to be living off-center. I've tried that. It's, it, 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 it's devastating in a negative way. Living our lives where things are right, not just correct, not just being right, but literally righteous. The center, the core of who we are is filled with righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit 
in all reality, it's what we vibrate. It's what comes through that whole element of love in our life. The core of who we are is in a solid place. Immovable. So, please be in prayer with me regarding these next two upcoming episodes because they are very important pertaining to this whole podcast and the spiritual growth commitment that we have to it and the development of our relationship with God and with each other. It all hinges on relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've laid before us once again a clear path. You've provided for us the ability to see what's on that path and how to navigate and how to walk. Lord, thank you we aren't a people that have to be caught up in pleasing other people as our reward. Father, thank you that, <laughs> really, really, really thank you that you are our divine reward. You are the fulfillment of our desires, truly. I love you. I worship you. I honor you. Elevate your name up high above any other name. There is no, there's not even a second place. There is no other place. You alone are worthy, Lord. Father, we lift your name up high and we present our heart's desires to you like Jesus did. And we pray in his name, Father. We pray just like him being right here. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. I love you. Please be in prayer for these next upcoming podcast episodes. I'm really uh, very encouraged by what I'm seeing, and I'm looking forward to some good results. So in the meantime, how about this one? How about you take some time and get some good rest? You know, work, rest, worship, and play. Take some time to get some good rest. Be nice to yourself. All right? All right. Take care. Bye.